Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for each one that is here. And Lord, we're thankful for the hymns that we can sing that have words and a message that bring honor and glory to your name. And Lord, we ask that you would help us with the remaining two hymns this morning, that we would sing them as unto the Lord. Lord, we pray that you would be with the special music as Miss Kelly sings, that you would have, smell a sweet savor of the offering of her song. And then, Lord, we, I bring to you the preaching this morning that it would be acceptable in your sight, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to challenge the hearts and souls of each one here. Then, Lord, the most important part of our service is the invitation. Lord, a time that we have set aside for people to make decisions based upon the preaching of your word. Lord, we ask that we would give you what you so richly deserve, that we would surrender our hearts and our lives to you, and that we would take instruction and, Lord, by your grace, live differently through this coming week. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things for your glory and praise. Amen. Please remain standing, if you would, and turn to the book of Daniel. And we'll be covering some familiar ground this morning, but I trust in a little uh, different uh, way than normally. Uh, I love the stories of the Bible. Uh, I love to hear them over and over again. I love to know how God works in the lives of His people. And just like the Sunday school story this morning, uh, great things were accomplished because of little decisions. And so oftentimes, uh, we uh, waste our lives hoping and waiting for something huge to happen when actually the key to the big things is the little things that happen every day. And, uh, you know, we, we want our lives, I, I would hope that everyone in here would want their life to count for Christ. Uh, would want to, on that day when we stand before the Lord, to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I would pray that that would be the desire of our heart. And yet, it's so easy for us to overlook the little things that make the huge things possible. And it's the hidden things that are in the heart, those little unseen decisions that in the life of Daniel brought him into contact and even confrontation with the greatest powers of his day. I mean, the most powerful man in the world, in the known world, in Daniel's day was Nebuchadnezzar. It was little decisions that he made that brought him face to face with this king and even his grandson. And then when the uh, Babylonian Empire was uh, destroyed and taken over by the Persians, Daniel again was brought into direct confrontation with all of the power and the government of the Persian Empire, and who won? Daniel did. And as we look in these 
times of Daniel's lives, these stories, every time we'll see that Daniel just obeyed the Word of God and God was glorified in it. You know, sometimes we ask the question and we think and we look around us and we say, we, we live in an extraordinarily evil day when good is called evil and evil is called good. How in the world can we live for God? Can we do the things the Bible says in these last and evil days? I, I want to challenge you this morning. I'll, I'll give you the theme of the sermon before we get into it, God will always provide a way for His children to do right. God will always give you what you need to obey Him, no matter where you live and no matter what is going on. And so let's look in the life of Daniel here. And let's just start to get a little context in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans." Now, this was the lot that Daniel found himself in. The armies of Nebuchadnezzar had come into the city of Jerusalem and had sacked the city. Anything that was good, anything that was valuable, they had packed up. And Nebuchadnezzar would be back two more times. The third time, he would destroy the temple. He would um, uh, burn the city and... It would lay waste for years. Now, Daniel was chosen from the children of Israel that were taken captive to be brought into the college of the king. Now, we stop and we think about these things and, and we have a tendency to take anyone who lived before the year 2000 or lived before the, I mean, my son says, oh, you're getting old. And uh, no, I, I am not old. Uh, go walk on the streets in uh, Dutch Kills. They're old. They go back to the 1600s. Amen. Uh, and yet, if we were to go across the river, uh, across the lake, as they say, the pond to England, we can find castles that were built over a thousand years ago still standing. But if we go back to Egypt, we can find the pyramids that were built nearly 4,000 years ago. Now, old is just one of those 
words that doesn't have an awful lot of meaning. And just because they lived 600 years before Jesus died does not mean that they were cavemen dragging their wives around by the hair of their head and, and uh, didn't know how to shave and, and look like human beings. Let me tell you something. If, if we could somehow have Nebuchadnezzar walk down the aisle of our church this morning, every one of us would stand in awe. Uh, this, the walls of the city of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar oversaw being built were uh, thick enough that on the top of the wall, some 75 feet in the air, you could take four chariots side by side and ride around the top of the city walls. I would dare say that our strongest tanks and missiles, with the exception of nuclear bombs, would have a problem destroying those walls at least in one or two shots. Of course, we have airplanes that can drop bombs in the middle now, but none of those things existed in Nebuchadnezzar's day. His wife came from a hilly area that had beautiful gardens, and of course, Babylon, the city of Nebuchadnezzar, is out in the desert. And so what he did was he built what was known as the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, where he took and elevated these artificial gardens in the city of Babylon and made it look like the homeland of his wife inside the city of Babylon. I'll tell you what, these were not ignorant and unlearned people. And yet, Nebuchadnezzar was of the kind of man that said, Listen, as we conquer these people, let's take the best of them and let's incorporate them into our government. Let us learn from them and they learn from us. And we will have the sum total of all the knowledge that is available to mankind in our city. That's pretty sound reasoning, is it not? And Daniel was one of these young men. He was chosen to be educated. How many of you know what happened to most of the rest of the people that were taken out of the city of Jerusalem? Well, the king was in the dungeon in Babylon. Uh, that was not a nice place to be. Uh, many of the other people were sold into slavery and died horrible and, and terrible deaths. Daniel had a chance to escape all of that. He was one of what we might say the lucky ones. But how many of you would like to work for the man that destroyed the city that you lived in and killed people that you know, whose armies took away everything that was in your life? And here was Daniel and several others, and we come to verse 8, and we're going to try not to spend a great deal of time on the stories because I, I really want us to spend time on the application here. But verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. 
Now, how many of you have read the book of Leviticus? In the book of Leviticus, it has all the regulations that God has put uh, in to the Jewish people about things that could be eaten and things that ought not to be eaten. You say, but, but do we have to pay attention to those today? No, God wants us to have purity of heart. And that's how we fulfill those things. It is a picture or a type. It was lived in the life by not taking into themselves any unclean thing. God does not want us to take into our lives unclean things. You know, there's a philosophy going around today that it's okay for Christians to be worldly. It's okay for Christians to enjoy the things that are in the world. Uh, After all, God created us this way. No, he did not. God has always had a difference between that which is holy and that which is not. Now, I want to challenge you. Daniel had made a decision long before he got to Babylon that he was going to simply believe God's words. You know, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know those verses, do we not? Uh, if you're familiar with, the, with our church, if you've been here before, uh, we, we spend a lot of time understanding that all have sinned, that only God can give us salvation. And what we do oftentimes is we say, yes, the Bible is the great spiritual book. It is the spiritual guide, but it doesn't have a lot of application for everyday life. I want to challenge you. That's another lie from the devil. Amen? God's words give us direction to live Each and every day, if we'll only follow them. It's amazing to me that we say, listen, I believe God is capable of saving my soul. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and there's nothing else that needs to be done for my salvation. But what are we going to do with fill in the blank? Losing a job? Obamacare? The politicians, all of the things that go on in our lives that trouble us, we say, what are we going to do? I, I want to challenge you. The answers are already right here. You could not find yourself in a more challenging position than Daniel found himself here in Daniel chapter 1. He is removed from his people. He was removed from his city. The temple in which he worshipped God had been destroyed. Never again would Daniel take a sacrifice and offer it as the law said. Which goes to show us salvation was not in the actual keeping of the law, but it was in the faith that the law engendered. You're always saved by faith in this book called the Bible. Amen? Daniel chose to believe God's Word. Not only enough to save his soul, but enough to guide his daily life. And I wish I was a little better at word 
smithing than I am, but I, I want to be a little rude this morning because I want the point to get across. You see, Daniel believed God. Daniel believed God's Word was a daily guide to living. But Daniel wasn't a jerk about it. Amen? I mean, sometimes I think we ought to start a club, Jerks for Jesus. Amen? I mean, we, we meet them. And after you've met a person like that, you say, what? Why do we want to serve God when they're like that? Daniel wasn't a jerk. He wasn't mean-spirited and cruel. When he looked at the menu, he understood immediately there were things that were on that menu that were against what God said that a Jewish man ought to eat. And he purposed in his heart, he prayed before God, I want a way to keep your word in the city of Babylon under the authority of the king who destroyed your temple. I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of spirituality, a lot of true love of God, to understand that God was still in control even though He was not where He wanted to be. Even though He was not allowed to do the things that He would like to do, even the things that were prescribed in God's Word to do, He was cut off from all of those things, and yet Daniel still said, I believe God's Word. I believe that God is still in control. And God, I want a way that I can obey you. Now, how many of you like fresh spinach? Isn't that good? Lettuce? How many people know what collard greens are? How many of you have ever eaten them without a little piece of fat back floating in the back? I mean, just plain collard greens. Anybody ever eaten dandelion greens? They're not bad. They actually are very tasty. And they're very healthy for you. They got stuff in there that you just can't get anywhere else. I just praise God they're not readily available today. Amen. My dad used to send us out in the yard to pick dandelion greens. He loved that. And uh, I'm just glad we don't have a yard. Amen. But uh, the simple truth is, Daniel tried to think of the only way that he could keep God's law. Read your Bible. Read the story this afternoon. He said, pulse. Now, pulse is just a generic word for leafy green vegetables. So, lettuce, kale, collard greens... Uh, mustard, um, dandelion leaves. Uh, that was Daniel's diet. Now, I, I wish I had enough personal determination to make a diet of pulse for several weeks. I'd lose the weight that I want to lose very quickly. Daniel said, will you test us and prove us? By giving us only leafy greens to eat and only water to drink. 
You know, it said he didn't want to be defiled with the wine that the king drank. Could that mean that there's different kinds of wine, my friend? You see, wine is a generic word. In the Bible, it was used for anything that came from a, a fruit, the, squoze, the juice that was squozen out of a fruit, often, most of the time, refers to grapes. How many of you know what a wine press is? said, oh yeah, that's the thing, they squeeze the grapes to get the wine out of it. Yeah, but if you drink what comes out of the wine press, can you get drunk? No, it's grape juice. Well, why isn't it called a juice press? Well, because the word wine means anything that you get from the juice of a fruit that's closed, crushed. So, there were different kinds of wine. You know what? You can drink grape juice and not be defiled. You can't drink alcoholic wine and not be defiled. Daniel said, whatever they call that stuff. I mean, they got all these fancy words and, and stuff. And uh, do you know what they do at wine tasting festivals? They sit there and they swirl the wine in the glass and they taste it. How many of you know they spit it out into a bucket? Because if they swallowed it before the end of the contest, they'd be so drunk they wouldn't know what they were tasting. Why do fine people do such disgusting things? Maybe it's because their practices aren't near as fine as they would like to think they now, that has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but let's get back on track. Well, actually, it does. You see, Daniel decided, he purposed in his heart, that since God's Word was good enough to get him to heaven, that it ought to be good enough to teach him how to live each and every day, but he wasn't going to be ridiculous. He didn't just march into the office of the head of all the eunuchs, the college there that he was attending, and bust open the door and said, I ain't eating or drinking any of your slop. Now, some people would think that the Bible gives them a right to do that. Daniel went to him and entreated him gently, and he said, listen, if you look sickly and thin compared to all the rest of the guys, he said, you're going to endanger my head to the king. And Daniel said, please, Prove us ten days. Ten days in three years is not going to bring you any danger. And just give us pulse to eat and water to drink and let us see if we can be obedient to our God and still be obedient to the king at the same time. And so he did. And for the next three years, breakfast, spinach, lettuce, kale, Collard greens, lunch, more of the same. What did they have for dessert? Now, see, I, I like greens, but I'm a Gentile. 
a little bit of that bacon in there, cooking with it, and that makes it good. But Daniel couldn't do that. But on top of this diet that you and I would cringe about, he had to study. You see, he was there to learn things. And I want you to read with me here. Uh, uh, verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you learned algebra by accident? How many of you tried to learn algebra on purpose and it didn't work? I mean, it says that he had skill in all wisdom and learning. You do not get skill without applying yourself and working diligently. Where did that diligence come from? It came from the decision that he made that he would simply follow God's Word. You know, God has never told anyone to do something halfway. You cannot find in your Bible where God accepts a careless execution of His Word. And yet, when we do things, sometimes we do them, oh, this is only for for, for you know, God, God will forgive me. I mean, God understands my failures, and we use that as an excuse to be careless in our Bible reading and in the little things that God wants us to do. You know, one of the great differences that I prayed for from day one of this church is that the people that would come here would have a true and real understanding of the Word of God. People, some, I've had people over the years, Pastor, you, 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 you preach too high. You, you, really, you really make a stretch. Uh, well, wait a minute. This is God's Word. I'm not going to dumb it down. That would insult the Lord. Why don't we ask God to raise the level of our understanding? Say, you like that old King James? It's hard to read. Yeah. But isn't God's Word worth the effort? It is, I promise you. You see, not only was Daniel careful in how he asked and how these things he was careful in his studies and what was required of him. You know, God could bless an intelligent man just as easily as he could bless a dumb one. In fact, I think God will take abilities and talents if we will develop them and use them for his glory. A whole lot more than someone who just sits there and says, Well, drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life. There's actually a song like that. And some people think that way. 
you know what? Daniel didn't. He was careful about God's word, but he was careful about other people. And I want you to look here in verse 19. It says, And the king communed with them among them, and, I'm sorry, and the king communed with them, these were the students, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He said, I can't remember the dream, but I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. And they said, all the wise men were called in and they said, King, we can't. Only God can answer your question. And he said, okay, well then I'm going to kill you all and get me new wise men. You know what Daniel did? It says he answered with counsel to the messengers of the king. And he said, give us some time to talk to God about this. And when Daniel came in, he was able to explain to the king all that he requested. Because Daniel was smart? No. Because Daniel followed the Word of God. You know, when you follow the Word of God, you will learn to care about people. Amen? And we get to chapter 4 is where I'd like for us to stop again. Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. He remembered this dream, and it was a very strange dream. And, and we come here to chapter 4. In verse 19, it says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished, or astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belshazzar, that was his name for Daniel, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Now Daniel has got a message to King Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't a nice message. God was going to humble Nebuchadnezzar. And he had explained how that was going to happen in the dream. And when Daniel understood the dream, his heart was troubled for Nebuchadnezzar. And we get down to the end of this interpretation here. Verse 27. He says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Now, do you get what Daniel was doing there? You know, Daniel had every right to say, God is going to judge you for your pride, Nebuchadnezzar. God is going to make you act like an ox living out in the field. And the Bible says that this actually happened. 
But Daniel said, King, if you'll just listen and break off your sins by showing mercy, if you'll humble yourself in the sight of God, it'll lengthen the time of your peace. The book of Jude tells us of some having compassion making the difference. Daniel wanted King Nebuchadnezzar to be well and to do well. And he gave him counsel. But you read what happened here in this chapter, and just like the Bible said, Nebuchadnezzar was driven out from among men for seven years. He was corralled in a field and slept out under the open ground there. He wouldn't let any man come near him. His hair was grown and tangled like eagle feathers. And it said that his nails weren't cut. I mean, could you imagine for seven years what he must have smelled like and looked like? And all of his counselors went by the pen. They kept the king in going. I wonder if he's ever going to get better. And at the end of seven years, verse 34, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth in his ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride. He is able to abase. You know what? Who was one of the first ones to greet Nebuchadnezzar when he woke up? I believe it was Daniel, don't you? You see, Daniel's patience and kindness with Nebuchadnezzar made Nebuchadnezzar understand who the God of the Bible is. What a testimony. You would think after this that Daniel's troubles were over, wouldn't you? That he would be cemented, but if you read the rest of the book of Daniel, they were not over. In fact, your troubles will never be over until you get to heaven. Amen? And so, uh, we go to chapter 5 here. And we're not going to take time for all the details. This is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Uh, uh, Actually, as far as we understand, his name was Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar. 
that extra syllable in there, denoting between Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, and Belshazzar, who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And the Persian armies were encamped around the city of Babylon. They had no hope of breaking through those huge walls or throwing ropes and climbing over the top. The Euphrates River ran through the middle of the city. And as they built the city of Babylon, they took two huge brass gates that were embedded in the base of the river and in the wall that went over the river, and those gates were locked. To try to swim down and unlock those gates, you would be pinned against the gates and drowned by the currents of the river. They had fish. They had fresh water coming into the city. And they had a sewer, and all of the waste was taken out at the other end of the city. You couldn't ask for a more impregnable situation than what they had. So you know what the Persians did? They dug a new riverbed for the Euphrates River. That would be like digging a new riverbed for the Hudson River. How would anybody up for that job? Uh, I mean, that sounds impossible. And yet that's what the army did. They, they moved up out of the... Um, basic path and and site of the city. And Belshazzar knew that the armies of the enemy were out there, but he was so secure in his position, he threw a party. He said, we're going to prove how safe we are in in Babylon. And he said, you know, let's, let's do it upright. Let's get the vessels of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and let's Toast our gods, because our God is the God of all gods. Now, Daniel's going to come in, and I I love the way God messes up man's parties. They're there feasting and doing all the wicked things that they do. And all of a sudden, a hand appears and starts chiseling in the plaster of those stone walls. A message. Now, there was no arm attached to the hand. Fingers don't write in stone, but this one did. And the message was, meaning, meaning, tekel upharsin. And so, the king basically had a nervous breakdown. And he called for all of his... Magicians, and he said, explain to me the words in the wall. And, of course, everyone in the palace was getting nervous because the king who was so sure is now not sure about anything. And finally, his grandmother hears that her witless, hopeless, ridiculous excuse for a king grandson is having problems. And she goes down and says, there's a fellow in your kingdom that can explain this. And Daniel's called in. Daniel treats Belshazzar very differently than he treated Nebuchadnezzar. 
He's not mincing words. He says, you knew everything that happened to your grandfather. You knew how God humbled him and made him act like an ox for seven years and restored him to his kingdom. And you are blaspheming the God of Israel that did all of these things to your grandfather. Here's the message. You're weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is numbered. This is the end of Babylon. Now, you know what happened when people gave messages like that to the king? Yeah. Yeah, it was just a very short life. But you know who got killed that night? Read the last verse of chapter 5. The last two verses. Verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. While they were having the party, no one was watching the level of the river as it began to be siphoned off. And in that night, the river dried up and the men broke through the brass gates and the armies of the Persians and the Medes, some of the fierce armies in the history of mankind poured into that city and broke into the very room where they were celebrating this palace. Daniel was saved. Belshazzar was killed. Amazing story. Daniel was proclaimed the third in the kingdom. He was wearing the rewards that Belshazzar had forced upon him as forgiving him the answer. But let me tell you something. Daniel believed God's Word was more than just a way to get to heaven. It was a way to order his everyday life. And he refused to be a jerk about it. He refused to be rude and crude and mean. And when he had opportunities to really put it to Nebuchadnezzar, He had compassion. And when the rebellious and wicked Belshazzar stood trembling in his presence, Daniel read him his death sentence without batting an eye. You see, Daniel had made some decisions way early on that he was just going to believe God's Word. That he was going to be diligent about his life. And that brought him into great power, and presence of King Darius. And we get to chapter 6. It says, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. You know what? They said the only way we're going to trap Daniel is to make it illegal for him to obey God. That took quite a bit of reasoning, did it not? I mean, these men were not wrong in their thinking. The only thing that they hadn't taken into account was 
that God always makes a way for His people to obey His Word. Amen? And so, as Daniel was caught praying, as he always had, he was then thrown into the den of lions. And all of a sudden, Darius's eyes were opened to the machinations and the plotting and the planning of these wicked men who hated the best counselor and worker he had in the kingdom. And I, I love the way the Bible is worded here. Verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Can you hear the silence? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Oh, I just wish you could paint, I wish I could paint the picture that is in my mind. As the king hears Daniel calling back to him from the den of lions. And Daniel says, My God has sent his angel, and he has shut the lions' mouths, and that they have not hurt me for as much as before him. Innocency was found in me, and also before thee, king, have I done no hurt. And the king took Daniel out of the lion's den, and he put the guys that wanted Daniel into the lion's den. And it says, Before they even hit the bottom, the lions had mastery over them. And we look here at verse 25. It says, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, languages that dwelt in, in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and into the reign, and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Each time we've looked at the life of Daniel, he was brought literally face to face with death. But the decision of what Daniel was to do had already been made. Do you know why we make wrong decisions in our life? It's because we wait until we're in the crisis to make the decision. I promise you, You'll make the wrong decision every time. Young person, you say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I'll make sure I keep my purity. And you go places, and you're with people you ought not be. And I promise you, you'll lose that which you cannot get back. 
we say, I know what the Bible says about always telling the truth. But the boss comes in and said, I just want you to lie this once. Just tell him I'm not in the office. Just Somebody actually came to me once and said, Pastor, what do I do? I told him I would only lie once and I would never, ever do it again. I said, you know the answer now, don't you? And the person said, yeah. I lied once, they expect me to lie again. You see, you don't have to quit smoking if you never smoked the first time. You don't have to stop addiction if you never have taken the first drink or the first puff or the first whatever it is. You don't have to come to the pastor and get counseling to repair your marriage if you started out the right way and work on it every day. I've had people over the years come and say, Pastor, I know it's God's will for me to divorce my husband or wife. And I always look at them and say, no, it's not. It's not God's will. Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says so. But you don't know what they do. Please don't tell me. I already know enough bad things. Amen? The simple truth is, God is bigger than you are. God is bigger than the problems we get ourselves into. But it's the little things. It's making those daily decisions. Jesus said, we have to take up the cross when? Daily. That's an instrument of death. It's the death of self. The Old Testament picture is the brazen altar that sat in the front of the tabernacle itself. There was always to be a fire burning on that altar. The embers of that altar were what offered the incense in the tabernacle on the golden altar. It is the death of our self that is pictured in the flames of that brazen altar, the embers of which power our prayer. You see, if we're not faithful in the little things, we're not going to be faithful in the big things. Daniel simply obeyed God's Word. His obedience brought him into conflict with the greatest powers that were on the face of the earth at his time. time. And every time Daniel conquered, God's name was lifted up and the God of Daniel was published by the wicked kings of this world to be the only true and living God. Tell you what, if God made a way for Daniel, do you think 
He wants to make a way for you and I. Do you think He wants to make a way for our church to stay true to the Word of God and not compromise with the world? Do you think He wants us to take His words and live daily for Him in a wicked and perverse generation? You know what? There's a lot of people out there that all they need is a little compassion for someone who knows this book and loves people. Rarely we'll run into those who need our rebuke, just the way Daniel did Belshazzar. But if they're going to accuse us of doing something wrong, let it be concerning our worship to God. And all God's people say, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask that you would help us to look at the life of Daniel. To look how simple those decisions were made as just a young teenager in the city of Jerusalem. And how that just keeping your word and following your word brought him all the way through the lion's den. Lord, I just ask that you would help us never to compromise your word. And yet, Lord, you would give us your love and your compassion that we need not be unnecessarily offensive. Yet, when the time comes to pronounce the condemnation of this world in their ways, that we would be unflinching and stand fast. That when the world examines us, that they would not find normal and regular flaws with us as all men have. But they would say as they did of Daniel, if we're going to find something wrong about this man, it's got to be, we've got to outlaw his worship for God. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to live for you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.